Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Folger, and this is Labors in the Harvest podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for this new episode of Labors in the Harvest. For those of you who are regular listeners, you know that we have changed our format uh, as we've begun our podcast for this new year of 2022. Uh, even though we've started a little late this year, we have changed the way we are doing the podcast. Um, last year, we were doing weekly podcasts, and uh, we have decided instead of doing weekly podcasts just to do it once a month, to record our uh, uh, our interviews as one set down, rather than break them up over a few weeks, uh, just record it all and then let, let you listen to it at your leisure and at your liking. So again, we want to thank you for joining us today, and we're grateful to have another guest with us. We'll discuss their life and journey in ministry. My guest uh, this week is Brother Brian Baggett. Brother Baggett is the military director for Baptist International Missions Incorporated, better known as BIMI. And of course, this is an organization that has been around for a number of years, uh, was started, uh, I think, back in the 1950s, maybe before that, uh, kind of as a result of Tennessee Temple and many of its graduates going to the mission field. And so uh, Baptist International Missions or BIMI has been around for a long, long time. I had the privilege when I was pastoring the Cleveland Baptist Church of setting on the board at BIMI uh, for several years. And of course, being a part of the board of directors means that you would go in uh, or the board of trustees means that you would go in twice a year and have an opportunity to obviously go over some of the business details of the the, um, mission, but uh, more importantly, to be a part, part of the process of uh, approving missionaries that were aligning uh, with BIMI. Uh, their churches had sent them. Uh, they are sent by the local church. Mission boards don't send anybody. They just help people go. Uh, but BIMI was there to be kind of an assistant and uh, to help them in the process of raising their support and helping them with the necessary legal issues and financial issues while they're on the field. And so it was a great joy to uh, meet many, many missionaries uh, as I had that opportunity set on the board. But one of the things that BIMI does is that it has a number of folks who serve in a position as being a director of a particular element of uh, the the fields that are represented uh, at BIMI. And one of the fields, of course, is U.S. military. And uh, my my guest today, Brother Brian Baggett and his wife, Chris, uh, they serve uh, as the military directors of BIMI uh, International Missions to the military. And again, as we think about U.S. military being spread across the face of the world, and in many of those places, there are churches specifically that are set up as you reach the U.S. military, even outside the country. Uh, they are just kind of focused on, on a base uh, and trying to reach uh, personnel that are serving in military service in those particular places. And uh, so my guest is one who 
is uh, oversees and works with those men and women who are called to that particular realm of ministry. So we want to welcome Brother Brian Baggett to uh, Labors in the Harvest podcast today. Oh, it's glad to be with you, Brother Folger. Well, um, I want to just uh, talk to you today about your journey and your life of, of ministry and how God has kind of led you. So let's kind of start at the beginning, if we can. Can you tell us, share with us a little okay. bit about your life, where you were born and where you were raised? I was born and raised in Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, which is adjacent to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, just west of Nashville. And my dad got saved uh, the year before he and my mom got married. And so we were raised in a, a Christian home. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, Christian school, church seven days a week. Um, it was just a, it was the part of our life, the major part of our life all the way through. I thank the Lord for that heritage. So, yeah. Well, that that is a great blessing. There's no question about it. Um, to uh, so, I don't. I've never understood people who have uh, you know been raised in a home like that and, and end up resenting it. Uh, you're like myself, oh, raised either. in a home. It was always in church. Never questioned it and never thought anything about it other than just that, that's the way life is. And so grateful now for the kind of parents God gave me. It sounds like you were raised in the same kind of home. I was, and I am so grateful for it. Uh, and so many folks that I meet that were not, and I just go, wow, so many of the pitfalls we were able to avoid just because of that, that heritage. Yeah. So, so do you have siblings? I do. I have uh, an older sister and I have a younger brother, both that still live in Clarksville. Well, I didn't realize that you were just like me. You're the middle child. We're, we're exceptional, aren't we? <laughs> we're special people, aren't we? <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> Get the best of all the worlds. <laughs> Get to watch the older ones take the beating for, for the things they did and learn from it. And then watch the younger Absolutely. ones get spoiled. So we're right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> well, God is so That's good. Great. So, so yes. uh, your dad, from what I'm understanding, your dad wasn't in the ministry, but it's just a consecrated layman. Absolutely. I mean, after he got saved, my family just got all in. Mm -hmm. And uh, dad was a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a bus driver. I mean, you name a position in the church. And my dad has had that position at some time or another. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was the same way. My mom's in heaven now. She passed away about four years ago. But um, mm -hmm. dad, it didn't matter if the lawn needed cutting. He would jump on a lawnmower or even this morning over breakfast. I'm, I'm here at his home this weekend. And uh, he told me, I told pastor last week, anytime you need something picked up, just call me. That's what I want to do. Wow. And he's always had that spirit. That, so. That's a great blessing to be raised in a home with a dad like that. And that's kind of way my dad was. Yes. He was not necessarily a preacher. He was in ministry, but it was just a, a help to the pastor. And uh, that's vitally important right. for those of us who've been in ministry, know how important that is, that there are folks that are like that. That's for sure. Well, um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your coming to Christ. Uh, did you come to Christ at a young age, and where and when did that take place? Well, it, it is an interesting story, and it's not an uncommon one in that I made a profession as a young child uh, that later I, I was struggling with as a teenager, and it was not until the age of 19 I actually had already gone to Bible college. Mm. Um, I studied business for two years in accounting and was not finding any satisfaction and joy. I, I really did not know what was wrong spiritually. Uh, but then at the age of 19, God made it abundantly clear where my spiritual issue, um, where the problem lied. And uh, so I, I trusted Christ September the 11th, 1988, at the age of 19. And boy, did that change everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
from the inside out. <laughs> Amen. That's for sure. That's wonderful. So, yes, well, uh, you know, again, we we're grateful for God's, uh, you know, grace in our life. That's for sure. And uh, yes. I suppose all, all young people, maybe that's not the case. I, I got saved at the age of five. And, mm-hmm. you know, the truth of the matter is, as I got into my teenage years, I, there was some rebellion and, you know, I guess it did cause me to question my salvation, but I'm, I'm very sure. clear and I, and I don't know how that works in, in different people's lives other than just, I know how it worked in my life that, you know, I'm very clear in my, my, my mind and my heart, knowing that I trusted Christ and I can see it very vividly. can't remember everything I said, but I sure do know, remember the, the moment that God saved me as a child. But, you know, I think you do go through those, those moments when you question, well, did I really mean it? What, what was that all about? And just, uh, and everybody has to deal with it differently. Would you agree with that? I would. And there was a moment of clarity that the Lord gave me at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. I had gone forward at the age of 11 and I, I came from a great home and I was in a great church. People were saved and baptized every week. And I think there was a little miscommunication. I went forward and the pastor said, oh, you've been saved. And mm. uh, they presented me for baptism. Uh. And my my parents assumed that I'd been talked to. And mm. I didn't know, you know, as, as an 11 year old, you don't question those things. But sure. later, the Lord gave me a clear memory of that entire day. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what I needed. To, this sure. is what I need. It's not that I I mean, I grew up in a great environment, uh, but I was doing the right things for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because I didn't want to get in trouble. But uh, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But uh, boy, in, at 19, when I, I just bowed my head and trusted Christ out behind the church on a Sunday evening, mm. I knew I knew it was different. This is it was settled forever. And yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Well, praise the Lord yes, for that. So yes, in regards to that, you said you were already in Bible college. So again, uh, can you kind of clarify your call to ministry um, and, and how sure. it worked in your life? So, Well, I, my dad requested, I say required, uh, that I go away to a Christian's college for a year. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to him about that as an adult now. Mm-hmm. And I said, Dad, what, what were you hoping to accomplish? And he said, there was something missing in your life, Brian, and I could not put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I wanted you to be in an environment um, where God could continue to work in your heart. And that was, he told me, he said, I didn't know what to do. He said, I'm not going to take any credit for that. That's just what the Lord told me to do. And I said, dad, it was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I already had a business started when I graduated from high school and had to close that down, put it on hold to fulfill his wishes. But during that first year that I was at Pensacola, I had a roommate who had something that I did not have. And and, and God used that relationship. Uh, I thought I was a good guy, but this guy took it to a new level and he had a great spirit about him. Mm-hmm. And the second semester, he had a, um, a cousin that came to Pensacola and he and I hit it off really well. And it was the same thing. And God used those two young men in my life to transition me to a Bible program. And then eventually I, I I just wasn't sure. I was searching and surrendering to everything, but then I got my salvation settled and then everything fell into place. My call to ministry, call to preach, call to missions was right behind that. And uh, it was just a, a domino effect, but it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to go through. Well, it is amazing how God does, you know, even sets up the the aspects of our life, even before our salvation, preparing us for what yes. he's got for us. And yeah, it's amazing to see how all those pieces come together, you know? 
Well, I, I have asked my dad and, and recently, you know, here I am a 53 year old man talking to my 77 year old father about things I wish I'd talked to him about sooner. And I said, dad, you know, there were certain times in our life, certain decisions you made. And I want to ask you about those things. And now as a father and my kids are grown and I have two kids working in ministry around the, the U S and, um, I said, you know, I go back to pivotal moments when I was just trusting God, nothing added up in my human mind, but my heart, my spirit, the Lord was working on me about how to help my kids. And I'm grateful that my dad had that same insight and leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. It really made a difference in me. For sure. Well, um, obviously you are a married man and I, your wife, Chris, I've had the opportunity to meet her. She's a sweet lady. So where did you meet your wife? Was that in college? I did. I transitioned from Pensacola over to Trinity Baptist College in 1988, and uh, I met Chris the day I walked on campus, and um, there was something special about her, but uh, I had not surrendered to missions at that point, and she came to college with the intent of going to the mission field, Mm -hmm. and we became good friends. I kind of had to start all over again in Bible college because all of my accounting and my business classes really didn't transfer. Sure. Uh, so we ended up sitting next to each other in most of our classes and her maiden name was Bolton and I'm a baggot. So, and she was a great <laughs> note taker and she just became a really close friend. Mm-hmm. And when the Lord called me to missions, I knew that's who I was supposed to marry mm-hmm. and, um, took a little time for all of that to happen. But, uh, she is a great lady about to celebrate 30 years in October. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful milestone. We're grateful for God's blessing in that regard. So what's her background? Sure. Is, uh, where was she born and raised? Uh, she's from Midland, Michigan. Hmm. Uh, she did not grow up in a Christian home like I did. Oh, okay. Her father did not get saved until the age of 33. Hmm. Uh, he was a very successful businessman. Uh, but modern day terminology, they would say functioning alcoholic, Mm. he he would call it something else. Uh, but you know, he wasn't a bad man. He was an ugly man. He was a family man. Her mom had been saved at an early age, uh, picked up by a layman in a church who had his own van that he purchased and he would bring kids to church. And she got saved through that ministry. And then when my wife was going into the ninth grade, I believe it was, um, her dad had a, a dear friend. He had been out with him that night, um, doing what they normally did at night. Uh, his friend had dropped him off and then his friend did not make it around the next corner and he died in a car accident. And Mm. Chris's dad found out about it the next morning and he pulled a track out of his pocket that nobody knew was there. And on the side of the road, he trusted Christ as a savior and, um, his life changed. My wife said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. She said, I saw that live and in color. I have never seen that transformation in a person like I did my dad. Wow. And he, he surrendered to preach and became an evangelist. And, um, wow. and now he has three, three daughters all in the, married to men that are in the ministry. And uh, it, it's a pretty, pretty wonderful story when we think about God's grace and mercy. Yeah, that, that is an amazing story for sure. So you and your wife got married and you, did you say you have two children? We do. Uh, our son is pastoring up in Pennsylvania. Uh, he has his, uh, he took a 
pastor, a senior pastor position last September and uh, doing well. He's married, been married nine years, has two children, and uh, they're in town for the same wedding that I'm doing today. So uh-huh. I get to see my grandkids today and uh, oh, and my son and daughter. law But um, <laughs> that's a little cat. <laughs> <you know, there. laughs> Somebody had to drive the grandkids down. That's but, right. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm I'm just teasing. And and then our daughter is uh, 25. She's up in Michigan working in a local church there, where her uncle has a large youth ministry, okay. and uh, it's actually my wife's home church, and mm. she's serving the Lord there. So that's wonderful. Well, I'm actually going to be preaching for your son here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, oh, had, that's right. I had the opportunity to uh, kind of help that church a little bit um, in this yes. transition and the opportunity to preach there a few times. And so they're very gracious, inviting me to come back over and present the ministry here in, in a week or two. So I'm excited about that. And it's a wonderful forward. group of people. Yeah. Yes. yeah, they are. There's great folks. I'm looking forward to getting acquainted with your son at that meeting as well. So uh, let's Amen. talk a little bit about your ministry and uh, as far as journey is concerned. Okay. So you graduated from Bible college, you're married. So where did you land for in, in the beginning of uh, your ministry journey? Well, it was an interesting story in the sense that uh, six months after I got saved, Dr. Don Sis was preaching the missions conference at Trinity, and the Lord specifically spoke to my heart about going into missions, and I'll never forget the day. I can remember where I was seated in the auditorium, and it really stood out to me because um, I grew up in a military town. Uh, everyone around me was in the military, but I could not join the military because I was blind in my right eye. Mm. I could see shapes and, and, and uh, shadows, but really my body had already shut down that right eye. Wow. So, but when the Lord called me to missions, he specifically said he, he wanted me to use a missionary or use an airplane uh, as a missionary. And honestly, I chuckled in my heart thinking to myself, I must have sat in someone else's seat because he couldn't possibly be talking to me, but because I don't want to ride with a one-eyed pilot, I'm sure no one else does. <laughs> and uh, well, I I said, okay, Lord, whatever you whatever you lead me to do, I will follow. And so after Bible college, I started down the road to flight school, and uh, was able to pass certain physicals, but I was not going to be able to qualify for the credentials that I needed to fly in an environment like the mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but along, along that path that I was following, uh, I met a retired naval surgeon. And he said, Brian, he said, um, I think I can fix that eye. Would you allow me to do surgery? And I'd already had six surgeries just on that one eye. And I said, wow. well, you know, honestly, I was thinking, well, what's one more? Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to Memphis, Tennessee and uh, to the Mecca Eye Clinic. And this doctor did surgery. And he said, no, it's not going to be an immediate effect. It's actually going to be worse for a couple of weeks. And then you'll start to see improvement. And 30 days after the surgery, I was seeing 2020 in my right eye for the first wow. time in my life. That's amazing. And, and so I, people say, why do you think God did that? Well, I don't really know all the reasons, but I do believe he was preventing me from following a path that I would have chosen mm-hmm. until my heart was ready uh, mm-hmm. to do what God wanted me to do. And, and so I was able to go into the missions uh, with Baptist International Missions. Uh, we raised the funds to take an airplane to Venezuela. And my wife and I and our kids uh, went to Venezuela. It was right about the time Hugo Chavez was elected president. Mm. So things were changing very rapidly. Uh, But we were able to be involved in two church plants in the city of Ciudad Bolivar. 
as well as uh, a lot of church work that was being done out in the jungle in the southern region of Venezuela. And we stayed there until 2003, uh, when Venezuela really began to close down, and uh, they shut down our aviation ministry, the missionaries had to leave, and our plans obviously changed. We, we went to Venezuela with the intent of staying for our, the rest of our lives mm-hmm. and just pouring ourselves into those people. Uh, but the Lord you know, sought to bring us back to the States uh, when Venezuela closed, but he wasn't finished with us. He was just changing, you know, starting another chapter in our lives, and he's continued to do that ever mm-hmm. since. So, so the, uh, the idea of uh, the when you were in Venezuela, working with the, the two church plants and then into the jungle, is that where the plane came into to play? It is. We, we based ourselves, our family and the airplane in the city, uh, mostly for supplies and things that would be needed in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And then we would, and that's where we focused our church planning efforts in that city, because there, there was not any independent Baptist works in that city. It was a really hot, humid terrible area to live and mm-hmm. so i mean it was just an open door 330,000 people there yeah. without a church mm-hmm. and so we focused there but then the airplane we would spend weeks at a time out in the jungle mm-hmm. uh, when when necessary to work with other missionaries that were living with the indians so so were you uh did you become fluent in in uh in i guess it would be spanish is what they spoke well, <laughs> any missionary will tell you the definition of fluency changes when you begin <laughs> learning another language. It's, it's a lifetime endeavor. But sure. uh, yes, I was, I was able to preach and teach in Spanish and mm-hmm. very conversational and comfortable in it. Uh, I was told one time that once you dream in that language, you'll know you're getting close to fluency. Uh-huh. And, and I'll never forget the night that that happened. It, it I, I sat up in the bed and my wife was scared to death. And she said, what's going on? I said, I'm, I was preaching in Spanish and it was good. <laughs> and she started <laughs> laughing, uh, but it, we loved it. And God's used that Spanish uh, ever since. And we left Venezuela in 2003, but I have probably led more Spanish speakers to Christ since 2003 hmm. uh, than we were able to do while we were in Venezuela, both wow. on missions trips, Peru, South America, Central America, Dominican Republic, and even in the States working with the military. Wow, that's led a lot of folks to Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, God makes no mistakes. There's no question about that and the things that he allows us no, to encounter. So, so after that 2003, you're back, uh, you come back from Venezuela. What, what's the, what are the next steps in your life? Well, I honestly had no idea what God wanted us to do. And that is not where a Christian wants to find themselves, uh, you know, for the first time in your life without a vision, a goal. And I mean, you have the, the, the vision and the goal of serving the Lord and honoring the Lord every day. But what am I going to invest myself in long term? And that window was was blank. I mean, there was nothing there. Mm -hmm. And so we came back to the States and um, I called my wife's pastor up in Michigan. And I said, we had been through some traumatic events in Venezuela as a family. And uh, I sensed my family just needed some healing Mm -hmm. um, on a personal level. And I called him and I said, I'd like to move my family there. And he said, Brian, I, I don't really have a position on staff. And I said, no, I'm not looking for one. I said, I'll just get a job and we'll, I said, we want to serve the Lord, but I want us to be in a really healthy, strong, spiritual environment. 
And so we made that move to Michigan. Uh, eventually, uh, I mean, honestly, we worked five jobs that first year between the two of us mm. uh, to get back on our feet. But God met every need. We never I went without uh, our kids transitioned well. And then um, eventually I became part time on staff at that church and an assistant pastor full time. Uh, and we were there for five years. And honestly, at that point, at the five-year mark, we were so involved in that ministry that once again, we could see ourselves staying there forever. And uh, because the church was growing and uh, we were so uh, just enjoying what God was doing in the lives of people and in our own family. So we stayed there until 2008. Okay. So, okay. So then what was the next step beyond that? Uh, my home church called me in October of 2008, and uh, our, that were our sending church where I grew up here in Clarksville, and uh, the pastor had resigned that morning, and they asked me if I would consider candidating, and it's interesting, a few months earlier, I had told the pastor I was working for in Midland, I said, he asked me point blank one day, Brian, do you see yourself pastoring again, and I said, I said, not right now with only one exception in that it's if my home church were to call me. I had no idea that anything was on the horizon, but uh, here three months later, I walked into his office and said, I got a phone call from my home church. And I had seen our home church through a series of events um, over a 25 year period uh, go into decline. And I can remember it as a boy having a bus ministry running about 400 and the 400 coming in on the drive-in crowd. And it had kind of dwindled down over time. And it's a military town. So sometimes it's just because of multiple deployments and movements, rotations. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was about 80 people left in the church. Mm. And the auditoriums, uh, there was enough space in the auditorium for 700. Mm. I think there was 350 seats in the auditorium at the time. Mm. And the Lord said, Brian, I, I want you to go back there and I want to build that church. And um, I said, yes. And we spent the next 10 years of our lives in Clarksville. Mm. And God just really did amazing things in that 10 year period mm. uh, in our home church. So. Okay. So is that where the, the love for the military uh, ministry becomes uh, real in your life? Well, it, yes, uh, it was, I guess you would say renewed. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents had opened their home uh, when I was a boy uh, to young GIs at Fort Campbell. And every weekend uh, they would just fill the couches and the floor space in our home every weekend. And uh, they would just live with our family and eat meals with us. And if dad was cutting wood, they would go cut wood with us. And, you know, so I, that was birthed in me at an early age. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris and I, when we graduated from Bible college and I was in flight school, uh, the pastor asked me to start a young married couples ministry specifically for the military. Mm -hmm. So we had three years of that while I was um, in flight school. And then so when we came back to the Clarksville, Fort Campbell area, I, I had a heart to heart meeting with the members of the church. These were people that had been my Sunday school teachers and nursery workers when I was a boy, just serving the Lord faithfully for 40, 50 years. Sure. And uh, I told them, I said, if our mission field in Clarksville is the military, it's the army. I said, they are all around us. You cannot go anywhere in this town and not see children. And 
my first Sunday there as a pastor, there was not a child in the church and the whole, the whole wing children's wing. I had teachers in every room, but they were meeting for prayer out in the hallway. And I stopped these ladies and I couldn't rebuke them. It was during the Sunday school hour. Uh, but these ladies, they've known me my whole life. So I couldn't say much, right? I said, ladies, why are we in the hallway? And they said, well, pastor, we're, we're praying that God will send children into our church. Mm. And the very next Sunday, and I went in my office and I sat down and I wept. I, I was supposed to be in my own class. I had come down to get something from my office. And I sat down and I wept and I said, Lord, would you please honor these ladies who have served so faithfully? Mm-hmm. And the next Sunday, I had a young captain walk in with his wife and in tow behind them were six children starting at the age of 12 and going all the way down to the nursery. And the very next Sunday, there was a child in every single Sunday school class. And, and it's been that way ever since. It was just the, the ignition of a new flame in our church and the heart and the passion was all restored. It was an amazing, amazing turn. So. Well, then uh, at a point, you're transitioning out of the pastorate and going into yes. um, military missions. So can you talk to me a little bit of how yes, that sir. worked? Well, I hosted an, an event for BIMI missionaries in the U.S. Um, with Brother Bob Larson. And uh, we just really enjoyed hosting the conference. Not only were the church planners from the U.S. there, but they invited uh, the assistant relief missionaries, we refer to them as armed missionaries. Mm-hmm. Most of them are retired from service overseas and they serve as relief missionaries around the world. And they all came to our church and we were able to worship with them and kind of reestablish a connection with BIMI again. We had supported a lot of BIMI missionaries, but as far as me personally going to the mission, um, it kind of, you know, we saw some restoration in that relationship. Not that there were any problems, just right. kind of renewed a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, the next year, uh, I was down at BIMI talking to Dr. Snyder, and I made just honestly just a comment, Brother Snyder, if there's ever anything I can do for you, just please let me know. And and left, and a few months later, he called and said, uh, would you consider coming on because of the experience in military ministry that you have in the pastoring, would you consider coming back to BIMI and spearheading our military ministries worldwide? Um, I told him I'd pray about it. And uh, then I had a, a I, to, I gave him a two week period. I said, I'll pray for these two weeks and I'll call you during that two weeks. I don't know how many deaths I had and emergencies in the church. And at the end of two weeks, I had talked to the Lord about it, but really had not been able to take some serious time and pray over it. Mm-hmm. And I called him and I said, I don't know, but I'm going to say no, because I don't have a definite yes. And he said, okay. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I knew God wasn't finished in that with me there yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then I really began to pray in earnest and the Lord um, said, Brian, there's something bigger as far as military ministry that I want you to be involved in. And, and I said, okay. And, and it was, I'm not going to say it was, it's easy to say yes, but the logistics behind the yes are sometimes a little more difficult to work through. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
<laughs> transitioning leadership in the church. Um, yeah. My son had just graduated from or come back from West Coast and was on staff and we just had our first grandchild. We had built a house in the family farm. I mean, all yeah. of those, that first time in our life, we felt we were putting some roots down and the Lord said, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but it's really, it's been a wonderful transition. Um, Dr. Chapel and uh, some of the other leadership there at BIMI, I really insisted and even paid for my wife and I's tickets to go to Japan and go to Germany uh, when we first came on board to get to know the military missionaries mm -hmm. and their ministries. And that was a life changer for us. Mm -hmm. um, we have a heart for military, but it is different serving military in the States than it is overseas. Mm -hmm. And um, and just representing military missions worldwide is just such a wonderful a wonderful opportunity yes sir so, so uh, you resign and uh, then you have to mm -hmm. raise support again was that was that a pretty um, I don't know I'm not even looking for the word I wouldn't say difficult but <laughs> were you able to do that fairly quickly or yeah define quickly I guess but uh, <laughs> not as quickly as most missionaries are able to raise support mm -hmm. because it is somewhat different you're right. not as a director you're right. not viewed as a church planter. Right. And so mm -hmm. some churches are reluctant or it doesn't fit in their philosophy of um, yeah. missionary uh, support. Sure. And that's okay. Every church is different, but God has met the need and mm -hmm. continues to meet the need every single month. And um, I mean, and our expenses are high just because of the travel, but you right. know that you do it right. as well. Yes, sir. So what, what's involved, would you explain to our listeners, uh, you know, what's involved in, in being a director over uh, seeing a particular division of uh, BIMI uh, in what, you know, in their, their realm? Well, there's a, a, I could take a, quite a while and talk about these different areas. Uh, one is the liaison between, oftentimes, between a missionary and supporting churches. Mm -hmm. Not often the sending church. Normally, that relationship is pretty much settled. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, there's a sending church that is, they don't want to bother the missionary, but they have some questions or they're not getting um, the prayer letters or something. And they'll contact the mission that's normally forwarded to a director. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, we're involved in recruitment, looking for missionaries, mm -hmm. being in a place where missionaries are typically being trained and called sure. just to provide them uh, insight and encouragement. Uh, we just finished candidate school this week. I, I spoke four hours yesterday uh, to new candidates uh, that were beginning deputation, talking about the ministry of deputation. And it's the fact that it's not about you're going into the ministry, you are in the ministry. Right. And God is going to use this time of raising support to grow you and to nurture relationships. And so there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, two weeks from now, we'll be involved in Camp BIMI, which is Camp BIMI. Mm -hmm. And that's where folks who are interested in missions, uh, but they're not really sure what to do next. And they'll come and spend a week on the BIMI campus. And we will put them through a, a miniature candidate school to really expose them to every aspect of missions, right. uh, both you know, pre-field and on the field ministry mm -hmm. and phone calls from pastors. I'll be, I'll be asked to come in, like I'll be in Ocala, Florida over the 4th of July weekend to do a patriotic service with the mm -hmm. military themes. Sure. 
I speak to pastors on a regular basis, specifically about military um, and recognizing PTSD and how to minister to families who are about to deploy or just coming back from deployment. Um, uh, there's just so many things that are unique to military ministry that I try to encourage pastors and help them to reach military and veterans in their area as well. So, well, well there's, you know, of course, having been around BIMI, I realized that the directors obviously are busy people. It's not like they're just in a, sitting in an office, just pushing a pencil all day, but lots of uh, practical things um, that you end up doing and, and being a help to the missionaries that are on the field, as well as churches that are here. So as we're kind of going to wrap things up here in just a few moments, sure. but um, can, can you just maybe speak to our folks today about some of the challenges that um, military people are, are dealing with um, from a, a religious perspective? Um, you know, we're seeing some things, maybe some pushback in what we call wokeness. How does that affect yes, military sir. people and, and how does it affect uh, churches that are trying to minister to military in, in that regard? Well, the churches that are near military installations really provide a safe haven uh, for, for believers that are currently in the military. It's that one place that they can come and do not have to hold back. They have complete liberty to worship the Lord without fear of, mm -hmm. of, of, of you know, some type of um, impact on their career. Uh, they really are being... Uh, silenced in so many different areas. And you know this, and for every part of our society, um, someone who is anti-God or anti-Bible, uh, their volume level is so high that they cannot, will not even permit you to speak. And if you do speak, they try to shut you down in such a harsh way um, that you'll never do it again. And right. in the military, that's just... Uh, really it's just to a higher degree mm. it's such a part of their life they you can see them and uh, i'm talking about believers that are serving sure. in the military uh they're they're battle weary mm -hmm. uh oftentimes they feel like they can't say or do anything or it puts their career in jeopardy or even their their livelihood in jeopardy with their family uh just last week i was in chesapeake virginia which the norfolk area in chesapeake virginia there's a hundred thousand active duty military personnel in that region mm. and i was speaking to a young man that just i say young man he's 37 just retired from the navy mm. and he was telling me over the last 20 years of serving on aircraft carriers, just the, just the atmosphere and how much it has changed and how much more difficult. Uh, he even spoke to now uh, some of the difficulties that chaplains are facing, being able to speak freely. And, and I know several chaplains, there's some godly chaplains that are out there, but there are some that truly do not know the Lord and they make the life of a believer more difficult in many cases. And he was speaking to the fact that now more than ever, it's so important to have strong believers that are serving in the military so that there is a voice, so sure. that there is a witness. And he was talking to me about how many people are still getting saved in the military, 
through the work of these individuals that we would consider them laymen in our churches, but they're just folks that go to work on these ships uh, in the Air Force, wherever they may be stationed, and they are making a difference. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a very it's front lines Christianity, and uh, the the enemy is real, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a ministry of encouragement for me. But I'm encouraged by them mm-hmm. and their their willingness to really put themselves out there as a testimony of Christ. We'll have two more questions for you and we'll be finished. But um, sure. First question is how many uh, military um, missionaries are there at BIMI? And uh, what would that represent as far as churches are concerned? um, uh, As far as these guys being out there, either, you know, either planning a church near a military installation or taking an existing church. So how many would that be? Would you know off the top of your head? Well, the number's changing, but I think it is 82 right now that we currently have serving. Wow. That would be our 81. We did lose a spouse here recently, but mm-hmm. um, that represents 40 families and mm-hmm. one individual that are serving full time. Uh, some of them are in relief work and they may step outside of military ministry to fill in for someone else overseas. But for the most part, they're either representing military missions or they're filling in. I have guys in, uh, I have one that just left this week, excuse me, for Italy, filling in uh, between missionaries. We had one that came off the field for medical reasons and another that's going but will not be there for six months. Mm-hmm. And these armed missionaries, relief missionaries will fill that gap. Uh, there in Italy. Uh, we have, I believe the number is 19 churches around the world right now. Wow. Um, they're Japan, Okinawa, uh, Spain, Italy, Sicily, and Germany is where we currently have churches. Uh, but there are needs uh, around the world for even more. Mm-hmm. And But uh, the laborers are few. We need more folks to go yeah. into the fields that are wide into harvest. Well, that's why we do this podcast, trying to encourage folks to be, you know, the God may be calling them and they just need to, you know, surrender and say, Lord, here's my life. Use it. So sure. final question for, for you is how can we pray for you and Chris uh, in the work that God has given you to do? And um, just maybe some practical areas where we can just pray intelligently. Well, I will start on a personal note, just mm-hmm. pray for safety and stamina and health, um, because as you're well aware, because you do this as well, uh, the miles add up and and we're not getting any younger, Mm -hmm. but we want to continue to have that youth and vitality about us uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to continue the ministry and to be able to relate. You know, military ministry is younger people. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are younger families and we want to be relevant. Uh, We want them to um, to be able to relate to us. And, and they do. And we thank the Lord for that. But we would like to continue that in the future. But also pray um, just that the Lord would provide those laborers. Um, you know, one of the aspects about military ministry, sometimes people say, well, I can't learn another language. Well, if you have a heart for souls and you have a love for our country and for our military, it's a great opportunity. One of the most exciting churches to pastor is a military church. Mm. These are all young families that are used to serving. I mean, that's what they're called to do. They've surrendered to do. And imagine that environment in a church where it's all young families that want to serve and do more. And uh, when you say you have a project at the church, they will all show up <laughs> to help you with it. And, uh, and, and honestly, they're young families. So there's, there's things that they're working through, but that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'll tell you this quickly, and I know our time is coming to a close. I recently went to the funeral of one of our missionary wives, and they have been on in military missions for 40 years. He was in the Navy prior to that. I was absolutely amazed at the number of people who traveled from all around the country mm. to come to her funeral, and every one of them testified to the fact that when they were in the military, it was the key moment in their life that God used that lady and her husband to really set their family on the right trajectory and the impact that that, that, that has had on their family uh, up until this day. It was just a reminder to me the importance of what we do and that it is making a difference. So I encourage someone that's called to preach and uh, maybe they don't want to learn another language. You can actually start preaching to a church the day you arrive on the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. Well, there's no doubt there's a great need for that. And uh, yes, sir. You know, again, I agree. I, I feel like people who are in military, when they come to know the, the Lord, uh, you know, there's just a, a, an element there um, because of their training and their background that they just, they, they have this desire to just make a difference and are willing to, you know, go a second mile. So that's a great opportunity. Yes, well, I want to thank you for taking time, Brother Baggett, to join me on this uh, this podcast. And it's our prayer that God will use it in the heart and lives of folks uh, as they listen, uh, wherever they may be in this world. And I want to encourage you that if you are a listener, to reach out to us. If you if we can be of service to you or be a help to you or have a question, you can reach me through my website, kevinfolger.com, or uh, you know through social, social media. Uh, you can find us there. And uh, Brother Brian, we appreciate you. Appreciate uh, yes, your, your wife, and it's our prayer that God will bless you. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today for Labors in the Harvest, and we'll be back next month with another interview. So it's our prayer that God will use it, and we hope that you all have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. <laughs>